wonder, how do you start your day? I mean, what's the prelude in your life to getting out the door on a normal morning? I read an article not long ago that talked about what a healthy person's lifestyle would look like in getting out the door in the morning. What this article said is that this person gets up 20 minutes early, that this person hydrates with a cup of hot water and some lemon, that they exercise, that they take the time to sit and look at nature and they enjoy a leisurely breakfast that always includes fruit. How many of you, that's your morning routine before you get out the door? All right, I don't see any hands. I think for more of us, it's probably more like hit the snooze three times, choose what to wear based on what doesn't need to be ironed, grab a Pop-Tart on the way out the door, and blame the people, the driving habits of the people in front of you for making you late. Can I get a witness? Anybody on that one? All right, we got, we got a lot of people who are kind of more in that category. But whichever of those might describe you or something different altogether, all of us have a prelude to our day. In fact, we all have preludes to all sorts of things. Concerts have preludes. Sporting events have preludes or things that go on before the sporting event starts. Worship services have preludes. And today what I want to do is I want to show you something else where we all where we see preludes that are fairly typical. Some common things that happen in this area is the preludes to miracles. That's what I want to take a look at with you today because as you look at the pages of the Scriptures, what we find is where you find miracles happening, there are some rather common preludes, some things that happen before, some things that are present in the lives of those people who experience those preludes. And I think it's important, or experience those miracles, and I think it's important for us to consider preludes to the miraculous. And so that's what we're going to talk about here today. There's a passage of Scripture I want to invite you to turn to. It's Luke chapter 8. We're going to be pretty much exclusively in this passage. So I'd invite you to open up your Bible or your Bible app or the Bible that's provided for you in whatever venue you are in today. And welcome to those of you who are in other venues other than the worship center. We're glad that you are a part of this time of worship, the response venue. Maybe the Moon Campus celebrating five years today. That's fantastic. Excited about that. So find your way there to that text if you would. There's also an outline in your bulletin that might help you along the way. For most of us, when we think about miracles, things start to get a little bit mysterious because we don't completely understand the miraculous, and sometimes we don't understand why one person might get their miracle and somebody else doesn't get theirs, or maybe more to the point, why somebody gets a miracle and why I didn't get mine. And so what I want to do today is I want to try to take some of the mystery out of miracles. I want to see if we can unlock some of the truth about where we see miracles happening and what some of the things are that are characteristic, what some of those common denominators are where we find miracles, because if we can come to understand that, if we can come to put ourselves in those sorts of places where those things are true of us that are the common preludes to miracles, then who knows what might happen. So we're going to look at an interesting passage of Scripture today. We actually honestly could have gone to several different passages of Scripture to take a look at this. But this is one that I, I, I wanted to go to because it's an unusual one where it comes to miracles. Because in this particular passage, we actually see a miracle within a miracle. 
And so we're going to unpack it today, and we're going to see what are the preludes to the miraculous, and how might we find ourselves in a place where we're experiencing things that are common, realities, where miracles happen. So we're going to look at some of those today, and the first of those that we find in this text, and in several other texts as well, is despair. That's where we're going to get started today. The first of those preludes to the miraculous is despair. As our text opens up, Jesus is making his way into Capernaum there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And here's what we find happening. Luke chapter 8 and beginning in verse 40, it says this. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. There, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. My wife Carolyn and I have two daughters, which means that for much of my life it's been me and three women. So please pray for me. No, you don't need to pray for me at all in that regard because I absolutely love that. I love this circumstance. I love the way that things have gone through all of those years. I wouldn't change a single thing. Well, maybe other than paying for the weddings. I wouldn't change a single thing. And I do have a son-in-law now, so I've got some reinforcements there in, the, in our family. So things are going very well. But I, I know the depth of the love that I have for those daughters of mine. And I just cannot imagine being in a setting like the one that we have described for us here where we've got a man whose daughter is dying. If that were the circumstance I was in, there was absolutely no length I would not go to to do something on behalf of that one who is dying. I can't imagine the heartache, but that's exactly what we find here for this guy Jairus. He feels the same way about his own daughter, and it motivates him to do the things that we find him doing. We see him in despair. That's the thing that leads him to go and to seek out Jesus. He's heard a little something about this Jesus person, and he doesn't really know what Jesus might be able to do, but it's like he's here, and he does something for somebody else, and so, so maybe, and so he's going to go after it. Now, this is not just some anybody in town. He is a guy was described as a religious leader, which mean, means that he would have been known by others. He would have been highly respected there in the community. He would have been looked up to. He had a reputation to maintain. But none of that really matters to him. He's willing to go and, and surrender himself and submit himself to Jesus, to humble himself, to not allow the pride that naturally might have come along with his position to keep him from moving forward and doing whatever it is that he possibly can for his daughter. Truth is, he doesn't know what Jesus might do for his daughter, but why not give it a shot is kind of where he is. The faith that he is expressing here is not rich, it is not robust, but there's a little spark that is leading him to take action. And it just might be that that's where you find yourself today as well. You might not be here, you might not be listening in today in a position where you would say that your faith is strong. In fact, maybe you're just holding on by a little thread, but there's despair in your life. There's a problem that has come up. There is something that you're dealing with, and you really don't know how it is that you're going to get through it. 
Why not take this man, Jairus, and his example as your own? Even if you don't have the strongest faith in the world, but you believe that maybe Jesus could do something, why not give it a shot? Why not come to Jesus? Why not ask him, put yourself before him? Why not humble yourself before him? Set aside the pride and the, and the, self, the self-assurance we have in ourselves. We want to be so, so self-sufficient. Why not be willing to set some of that aside in order to just see what it is that God might be able to do to meet you in the midst of your need? To take Jairus as as an example for us. Stop worrying about what people around you might think if you turn to Jesus for help. Stop worrying about your pride and your self-sufficiency and see where Jesus might meet you. It's this man's despair that draws him to Jesus to the place where he's in a spot where Jesus might just bless him beyond comprehension. It actually leads us to the key truth that I want to be sure that we walk away with today, which is this, that the further you are from your comfort, the closer God's miracle may be. The further you are from your comfort, the closer God's miracle may be. So often we try to put ourselves in a position where we ignore the problem we're in or we set it aside and we're not willing to walk through it. We just want to ignore it and try to walk around it. When really it may very well be that it is that very thing that is leading you to the place where you can experience the best that God has for you because he continues to work out his best in the lives of his people. That which he has begun in you, he is going to carry on to completion. And so to lean into him and to lean into that Very well for you, the further you are from your comfort, the closer God's miracle may be. Because despair is often a prelude to the miraculous. So allow your despair to cause you to run to Jesus. See where it is that he might meet you today. Despair is a prelude to the miraculous. We find it again and again in Scripture. Another reality that often precedes the miraculous is faith. While this whole situation is unfolding for Jairus, there's a little twist that comes in the story. Verse 42, again, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. means it's a huge crowd, just shoulder to shoulder. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. This painful hemorrhage that she's experiencing is probably some sort of menstrual or uterine disorder that she's dealing with. And Mark, in his gospel, when he records this same story, he says that she has done everything that she possibly could to find relief from this situation, to find a cure, but to no avail. I feel for this woman in part just because of her physical condition and where that leaves her 12 years now. This has been going on, but that's just the start of it. It goes beyond that. Because of her bleeding, she would have been considered to be ritually, ceremonially unclean, which means that she couldn't be with anybody else. It means that she couldn't touch anybody else, not in an intimate way, not a simple hug. If she had children, she couldn't embrace those children Just imagine the pain, the heartache that she would have been living with. If she had been married, she probably wasn't any longer because after that long, she would have just been seen to be a liability for the family, not an asset in any way. This woman is at her wit's end, and she's tried everything. Well, almost everything she's tried. 
She's also now apparently heard about this Jesus and that he's nearby, and she might have been kind of set aside somewhere and even looked on a miracle that Jesus had performed. And it just has sparked a little seed of faith in her heart, a little wondering of what it is that Jesus might be able and willing to do for her. So she's contemplating going to Jesus, which means going through this crowd, which means inevitably she's going to touch somebody. And the people around her would be furious if they knew of her condition and the fact that she was touching them. It's just something that you could not do. And then ultimately her desire is to go and to touch Jesus, which again is forbidden. But she's thinking of taking that risk to do something for her life because her life at this point is no life at all. That's how desperate she is. She's in a despair of her own. Verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. It worked. She's ecstatic. Now all she needs to do is slip away unnoticed and everything's going to be just fine. Verse 45, who touched me? Jesus asked. Probably just stopped her in her tracks. But she's not confessing anything. Nobody is confessing anything. Verse 45 continues, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Jesus said, thank you, Captain Obvious. That's not what he said. He said this, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Now, it's very unlikely that Jesus did actually not know who it was that had touched him. But it's important that she would be drawn out for multiple reasons, for her own sake, as well as for others who were looking on. And I'll explain that as we go. Verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. As much as this woman wanted to remain anonymous, her actually coming forward is a benefit for herself and for others. It's a benefit for herself because it was a clear demonstration or was leading to a clear demonstration for everybody that this woman who has been ritually unclean for 12 years is now being made clean and that she can return to life as normal. What a humongous blessing this is for her and everybody now is aware of the fact that that is true for her. But also, if she had just slinked away, she would have connected the healing in some way to Jesus and likely believed that it had happened by, by chance or by some superstition because she's not trying to touch Jesus. She's just wanting to touch his clothes, like there's something magic in the clothes. And Jesus doesn't want her just in some belief in superstition. People believe in superstition all over the place, all the time, and it motivates some people to action. Some of the worst people at this are actually professional athletes, right? You know this. You know about the playoff beard, right? You've got to grow because there's a superstition that we'll keep winning if we keep growing the beard. Or the professional baseball players refuse, some of them, to touch the lines, to step on the lines of the diamond. Or some of you might remember Turk Wendell. He's a guy, a pitcher in major leagues who insisted on brushing his teeth between every inning that he pitched. How about our own Sid? 
Sidney Crosby, he's probably one of the worst superstitious guys that there is. He, he today will eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at 5 o'clock, exactly 5 o'clock, with the same kind of peanut butter and the same kind of jelly that he's done before every game. He'll do it. And there are a bunch of other things. Superstition lead people to do all kinds of things. It's why I only preach in dirty socks. No, that's not true. <laughs> These are clean. I, I promise you, they're clean. But superstition lead, and we can argue about, does that make any difference for people if they, if they keep on with their superstition, that sort of thing? Well, the one thing that we can say with absolute certainty is there was no superstition at all, and superstition had nothing to do with this woman finding the healing that she experiences. And she needs to be sure that she knows that. And the people who look on, make, Jesus needs to be sure that they understand that as well. He says, no, your healing came because of your faith, which is really important. But I want to be sure that we don't get misled by this because some people have been, all right? There's no doubt that faith is a prelude to the miraculous. In fact, most of the miracles that Jesus does reveal that there is some measure of faith on the part of the one who is the recipient of that miracle. That is fantastic. That is true. But understand this. Faith, faith doesn't heal. God does. Faith doesn't heal. God does. It's the power of God, not the power of your faith, that makes the difference. The hands of God are not tied in one way whatsoever because of the size of your faith, whether it is big or whether it is small. Because God can do what God wants to do. There are circumstances in the miracles of Jesus where there wasn't any faith at all that's being expressed, and yet there is a healing, there is a miracle that comes. How much faith do you think Lazarus was expressing in the grave when Jesus raised him to life? Zero. None. You say, well, it was the faith of his, his sisters, of his family. No, they didn't have faith either. They were just lamenting the fact that Jesus wasn't present when he died. They weren't expecting that he was going to be raised back to life. The same thing is true of the man with the withered hand in Matthew chapter 12. He's expressing no faith whatsoever, but Jesus does the miracle. In Luke chapter 7, you've got the, the same thing with a, with a boy who had died, who was raised to life. No faith being expressed there whatsoever, yet Jesus does the miracle. Same thing was true in the passage last week that Matt, Pastor Matt very helpfully took us through, the man who had the demons. He wasn't expressing any faith at all, yet God does a miracle for him in his life. Or sometimes you hear that if your faith is just big enough, you'll be healed, and if you're not, then the problem is your faith. That is just not true. The scriptures don't bear that out. In fact, if you look at the miracles of Jesus, just like the ones we're considering here today in this text, the common denominator is usually small faith before that miracle actually occurs. Or what about the Apostle Paul who never experienced his healing for the, the thorn in his flesh? Are we to conclude that Paul didn't have faith? I don't think so. Faith doesn't heal. God does, and it's theologically irresponsible for us to go to somebody and to say to them that the problem with you not getting your miracle is because you don't have the right kind of faith. You just cannot support that from what the Scriptures tell us. Now, that's not to say that faith isn't a key component when it comes to miracles or that it's not frequently found where we find miracles. There's no doubt that faith sets you up for the miraculous, 
but it does not guarantee it in your life. But here's the interesting thing about faith. It puts you in the perfect place that you need to be for when the miracle comes and for when it doesn't come, if you think about it. Faith is a prelude to the miraculous, but it's also a prelude for trust in Jesus when He doesn't bring the miracle that you might be desiring for a reason that you just simply don't understand at that point. But it sets us up with the understanding that God is doing something in my life which is going to be the best thing that needs to be present in my life, even if it's not exactly what I thought might be best for my life. Despair is a prelude for the miraculous. Faith is a prelude for the miraculous. It's another one as well, a reality that we typically find where the miracle occurs, and that is also actually delay. Remember Jairus? His only daughter is at home, and she is dying, while Jesus gets sidetracked, or so it appears, by this woman who comes with her own issue. What would you have been thinking in that moment? I might have been thinking, hey Jesus, why are we delaying? My daughter is dying at home. We need to get to my daughter. Remember, you were coming with me first. She came afterwards. You got to come with me. We got to go do something about my daughter. She's in dire circumstances. This woman isn't. And let's just go and take care of my daughter. She can come along. That's fine. But let's do my daughter first and then you can do something with her. We got to get to my daughter before it's too late. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. This would have been maddening. This would have been frustrating. It had to be for Jairus all at the same time. Jesus was on his way to his house, and this woman gets in the way. The delay messed up everything. The delay messed up everything. Delay can do that. In all sorts of circumstances in our lives. Carolyn and I were born in the same year. I happen to be born a couple months earlier, so she's been reminding me our whole married life that I'm older. But in the year when we both turned 30, like three or four years ago, that year... I decided that she needed to have a surprise birthday party. And it worked out perfectly because she was actually going to visit her sister on the other side of the country until she'd be out of the house so I could do all the planning, I could get all the stuff in, she wouldn't be there to see it. It was all going to work out perfectly. And then she'd return back home, and as soon as she got back home, the house would be filled with people. Because who doesn't want to return from a trip across the whole country with a toddler to a house full of people. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Yeah, see, you agree. Yeah. The only problem was her flight was getting delayed. First a few minutes, then about half an hour, then an hour. And I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do because they were supposed to be arriving. I didn't know just how late she was going to be. Do I cancel the whole thing? Do we just press on? Hope, because the, the communication on how late a flight is wasn't as good as easy to figure out three or four years ago as it is today, right? 
Well, I decided we just got to press on with this. And so the guests start arriving, and Carolyn still wasn't even at the airport yet. Now, you have to understand, back then, our house was an hour and a half from the airport. So the guests are arriving, and I'm going to have to do something with them. And so I figure, well, I got to start feeding them. And so I fed them the appetizers, and still no word about Carolyn. So I fed them the dinner, and still no word. I fed them the dessert. We played some of the games that we were going to play when Carolyn was supposed to be there. She's still not there. She shows up a little more than two and a half hours after the party started. Now, thankfully, she had some really great friends who were willing to stick around and wish her happy birthday. I mean, why not? They'd already eaten her birthday cake. So, you know, it's like you should probably stick around for that. And they did, and they wished her the happy birthday. And, and uh, the delay messed it all up. As I looked on that party at the end, it's like this whole thing was wrong. I was so disappointed. The delay, now, she was surprised. <laughs> I did get that, and I haven't been allowed to plan another party ever since. But delay messed everything up. And that's exactly what Jairus is thinking here as well. But in the midst of that heartbreaking news, Jesus says something else to him, very interesting. Verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. That's the kind of promise you want to get. What happens? Verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her, Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. This sounded as ludicrous to them as it would sound to you if I went to a local funeral home and I walked in and there was a body laying there and I walked up to the body and turned to the people and said, would you people please stop crying? He's not dead. He's just sleeping. He laughed at me too, unless Grandpa sat up. Verse 54. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Through the early part of this story, Jairus must have been frustrated about the detour that Jesus took from going to help his daughter. It was unnecessary as he saw it and is proven to be so as because of the delay, now his daughter dies. Jesus had to be off on his timetable, but what he is not seeing is our key truth, which is that the further you are from your comfort, the closer God's miracle may be. Jesus' timing wasn't off. It was because of the apparent delay that the power of God was on display that much more in the circumstances that transpired that day. It's because of the delay that Jesus had the opportunity to minister to and heal that woman in the midst of a huge crowd that all had the opportunity to see the power of Jesus in the work of God in her life. And then later for the family and for the mourners and all who had gathered around that little girl and around that house, for them all to see exactly the same thing when the girl came back to life. 
we can also struggle with God's delay in our lives. I don't understand why it had to be 12 years that this woman had to wait until she found her healing. But there was a reason, and the timing worked out in such a way that there was glory given to God, and ultimately her life is blessed. I don't know why it is that your circumstance has delayed the way that it has. Whatever that might be, if there's such a thing going on in your life. I don't know why you've had the pain as long as you have had it. I don't know why you've been dealing with the situation or the circumstance or the problem or whatever it is that has crashed in on your life. What I do know is that God's timing is always perfect. And His plan is always for your benefit and always to work out things according to His perfect will. And He knows what is best even if we aren't able to see it right now or right in the moment. So it all sort of boils down to one last little question that I want to consider with you for just a second. Just how strong does your faith need to be to experience a miracle? Because some of us I know today are kind of hanging on by a thread. And we wouldn't describe our faith as being deep. We wouldn't describe it as being strong. I don't have an exact measure for the depth of faith. There is no faith scale. But what I do know is that this woman has a little faith in something connected to Jesus, even though she doesn't really fully even understand what it is. What I do know is that this guy Jairus and his wife are described as being absolutely astonished when this girl is raised, which suggests that they weren't expecting much through faith. These circumstances don't tell us just how much is required, but what they do tell us is that even if your faith is small, it shouldn't put off, you shouldn't put off your desire to experience and your pursuit of God's touch until your faith is bigger. Because sometimes God does the biggest things through the smallest faith which means that wherever you are today, however thin and frail the thread of your faith might be today, that you don't have to wait until it's better to go to God. You don't need to wait until it's bigger to anticipate that God might look favorably upon your situation and circumstance. Take the example that we find here in Jairus in this woman, in so many other circumstances where we find miracles that Jesus does. Take that as your example. Run to Jesus with whatever it is that you can muster in your faith and ask that he would show himself to you. Sometimes it's the further that you are from your comfort that brings God's miracle closest. So don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Take what it is that you have, run to God, and let him meet you in your need. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that we have of how you meet people in their need. We've got all sorts of people listening in right now who have a need of their own. 
Father, thank you for the examples that we find in the scriptures that give us the preludes to the miraculous, that show us that faith is important, but that also show us that, that people right before the miraculous experience delay and they experience despair. And Lord, that's so encouraging because so many of us are there right now, and if not right now, it'll happen. So Lord, may we not be defeated by those circumstances when they arise, but may we be encouraged through your word that you meet people in the midst of their deepest need, not just the people in the Bible, but all of us. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the power that you display again and again through the work of Jesus in people's lives. So Lord, we run to you in faith and in trust. Maybe you'll bring the miracle. Maybe you will put us in a place where we can have the peace and the patience to wait for what it is that you are ultimately doing. Lord, meet us where we are. We come for your goodness and for your blessing. We pray for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.